0: You're listening to Jumping the Wealth Curve with your host, Edward Bow.
1: For most of my life, I've been riding and racing dirt bike motorcycles, so it was natural to say, jumping the wealth curve. I'm jumping something all the time on the dirt bike.
0: When he's not on his bike, Ed is helping families retire successfully as a certified financial planner and five-star wealth manager at Smallwood Wealth Management.
1: There isn't a one-size-fits-all solution for everything, so we're talking about finances and a financial plan. We need to stay flexible.
0: Jumping the wealth curve is designed to help answer your retirement questions
1: and especially in today's world everything is so stringent and everybody's so ugh. let's just talk
0: now here's your host Ed Powell.
1: welcome everyone to jumping the wealth curve podcast this is the first in a series of podcasts that i'll be producing with the intent of exploring and discovering the truth i would like to keep these to about 20 minutes so you can absorb this on your terms and not mine if I make this an hour long, I'm committing you to a sentence of 60 minutes in your lives. If that I don't give you a good experience, by the end of 60 minutes, you just lost that hour in your life forever. So instead, listen for 20 minutes since you probably waste more than that amount of time each day doing whatever. And if you like what you're hearing, load the next one and keep going. Your life, your terms, you're in control. It's what I preach here. So. If you didn't listen to my intro podcast, then I need one thing from you to achieve our goal an open mind. I was told a long time ago that your mind is like a parachute, it only works when it's open. This was told to me way before I was a financial planner. I didn't know the impact of that statement and the impact it would have on me years later. To my point, if you came into my office, looked around, you would see a small whiteboard on the back of my desk, and those words are written on it. So, they have stuck around with me for a long time. I think it's pretty to the point. So get ready to pull your rip cords and just float through the air, through the sky, and the endless possibilities that you may see or have by keeping an open mind. Mm-hmm. Today's topic, retirement income and the default strategy. Why do so many people talk about retirement income? It's all you hear about, whether you listen to CNBC or whatever. All you hear about is retirement income. Well. The obvious answer is that it's so important it's important because when you decide to retire you're worried about a few things one is you just stop working and that income stream you depended on for let's say the last 40 years just stopped how do you prepare mentally for that some people handle better than others for a host of reasons one is that they were diligent on working on their financial plan and prepared for this day They might have worked with a professional, or not, to work through the numbers and feel comfortable about retiring because they prepared. Others just frankly don't worry about things as others do. They just kind of go through life, maybe they don't want to know. They handle it as it comes and figure it out along the way. The scary part about that, at least for me, it conflicts with the other concern people have when they're entering retirement, which is running out of money. That is the number one fear of retirees. There are some that worry about dying early or becoming sick during their retirement, but the majority is the fear of running out of money or not making it through the retirement. Let's go in that direction for a minute. How do we get to the point in our society that we have this fear? One may be the change to how we save or fund our retirements. Years ago, and I'm talking 30 plus years, we generally worked for one company for a long time, and the company would put money away for our retirement. You didn't know how much they were actually putting away, just that when you retired, depending on your income and how much you were earning, there was this kind of corresponding monthly income that you would receive when you retired. Then you you get to that day, you retire, they throw you a party, give you a, a gold watch and say thank you for your hard work. That's right, it was called a pension. Well, something changed along the way, and namely that was the Revenue Act of 1978, which said, They're going to give you, the working person, the ability to put money away in a retirement account in a tax-deferred manner, and here's the big one. And you're going to have the ability to manage it yourself. Awesome. The powers to be, our elected officials thought, giving you the control to manage your retirement assets in a manner you choose is a phenomenal idea. We can manage it, invest it in the market, make more money than that terrible pension that you might have gotten from the employer. There's also an employer side to this, with providing a retirement plan and getting tax incentives and there's a bunch of other stuff behind that on the employer side also. Okay, full disclosure. I am all about staying in control of my affairs such as money and other aspects of my life. I get what they might have been thinking but there's a whole other side to this that they were missing or maybe they weren't. So here's my first big mic drop moment. They effectively put all the responsibility for retirement funding into the individual's hands. What does that mean? remember before in the pension world which still exists in the public sector and a little bit in the private sector the onus was on the employer to save for their employees and their retirements in this new paradox the onus or responsibility now falls on the individual bam that's the mic drop (laughs) why is this a problem let me ask you this why is credit card debt a problem Some people have a hard time managing their money, right? They spend too much and don't save enough. Oh my goodness. Does that include retirement savings? Of course it does, it's in the name. Did they do this because they wanted to help everyone or did they just do this because they were lobbied in Washington by financial institutions because this opened up a whole new world of investment opportunities for those companies and providing products for the investments? I have no idea, but it sure gets you thinking. Going backwards, the retirement strategy for most was Social Security and a pension that funded a majority of everybody's retirement. I had clients that both spouses worked hard their whole lives, raised three kids, and they were middle-class type folks, not ultra-wealthy people, and they retired with exactly that same scenario that I just described with having Social Security and pensions as the majority of their retirement income. They had some other assets they accumulated over the years, and we work together to make that portion more predictable, so if they needed additional funds, they would be okay. Well, that scenario would work for a lot of families and retirees in America. Here's another question for you. How many teachers, maybe police officers, government workers that you may know are complaining about their retirements? In no way am I saying anything negative towards these professions, but they are the exact example that is more common now that would fall into this retirement income stream model. I personally don't know any of those types of individuals that aren't happy in retirement right now. Okay, get it. My point's been made. I'll move on. But how does this relate to my topic? We're getting there. I get it. I hear you. I need need to do a little history lesson with you so you understand why the default strategy was inevitable. With what was known as a defined benefit society, which is pension world, and now with the Schroker pen, they created a defined contribution society, which is the 401Ks, the 403Bs, the IRAs of the world. And by the way, these are IRS terms. They're not ed terms. They're actually codes for in the IRS documentation. And if you think about the defined contribution terminology, if taken literally, which it should be, says you need to contribute. Now we have company-sponsored retirement plans called 401Ks or school plans, which are 403Bs, and it's dependent on us, the employees, to fund retirement. Now fast forward to retirement. You did what you were supposed to do and contribute to your retirement account, and now you retire. If you came in and sat with me to discuss your retirement strategy, I would hope to see that you have assets both in retirement accounts and non-retirement accounts. You'd be surprised how maybe that isn't such the case and a lot of times it's heavier in on one side and the other more times it's heavier in the retirement account side so moving forward here typical retirement in this scenario and the default strategy you have some social security for maybe you and your spouse and then you either pull money from the retirement accounts or the non-retirement accounts or maybe both depending on what you need and that is the default strategy you just laid out You've got Social Security, non-retirement accounts, and retirement accounts. And that seems to be majority of how many, a lot of people are set up right now. Yeah, there's some people maybe have some real estate and are taking, having rental income, and that's another source of income. That's probably one of the other biggies. But more times than not, majority of the folks are going to be set up with just the Social Security and two different types of investment accounts, right? Retirement and non-retirement and you've been directed to the strategy because of course you gotta fund your retirement and you got these vehicles to do it and you usually do it in a tax deferred manner. The problem with the strategy is that you have two very big risks you must overcome in your retirement. One is market risk and the other one's distribution risk. Market risk is market volatility, right? Markets go up and down as we all know And you have to be able to weather these gyrations in the market all the time. And think about it this way. This is all at a time that you're worried about running out of money. You're just getting into your retirement. and You're like, hey, you want to start enjoying retirement. But in the back of your mind, you're like, I potentially have a long way to go in retirement. Right? We're all living longer. And probably one of the biggest concerns you have is that you're going to run out of money. But... We got market volatility, and I'm thinking about running out of money, but this is what they tell you to do. This is what everybody tells you to do, and so you're doing it. I get it, markets go up and down, I will be fine. I'm young, I'm gonna be fine, everything's gonna be good. Let me give you a real life scenario. It's 2008, we have the financial crisis going on, and the market, which when I say the market, I'm kind of talking about the S&P 500, And if you're not sure what the S&P 500 is, it's basically 500 different types of stocks that are traded publicly of different industries and different sizes, just to give you an idea. So it's 2008, and the market goes down by 38% by the end of 2008. So hypothetically, think of like, hey, you had a million dollars. It's a lot of money in your retirement account, and you're down 38%. Your account's down to $620,000 at the end of the year. How are you feeling right now? Are you afraid of running out of money right now? One of the biggest fears you had, potentially going into retirement is, I gotta make sure my money lasts. I gotta take on this market volatility risk because that's what everybody does. That's what they tell you to do. That's what all the wealth advisors do. I'm a wealth advisor. But let's just say, you're staying calm, you're staying cool, you said, I'm all good, I'm staying with this. And now we enter 2009 and guess what? The market goes down from January 1st to March 9th, another 25%. Your million dollar account is down at $370,000. How are you feeling now? Are you potentially maybe pulling back on your investments? Maybe significantly pulling back on your investments? Meaning, maybe I'm going to cash. I'm just getting less risky. The markets are inherently risky because they do go up and down. You might have already done it. You might have waited to this point. where you're probably seriously considering it at this point, right? This is something most advisors saw during this time frame where people, you know, were pulling money out or going to cash to protect their investments, right? Because money and math is not the same thing. It's easy to look at things on a spreadsheet and go, yeah, that makes sense and all that. But when things like this happen, we have an emotional attachment to the money, right? And we have a real emotional attachment to the money when we think we're going to run out of it. What's my exit strategy then? There's no plan B here, right? I'm down to $370,000 in my retirement funds. I'm panicking. And let's say I pulled my money out of the investments and I just went to cash at that point. We know this now because it's had to the fact, but after March 9th, the market rallied for the rest of the year and the market went up by 51%. So the S&P 500 had a retracement of 51% which if we were down 25% early to up to March 9th and we had a 51% up market afterwards the market netted out to a 26% positive return but my argument to you would be this if you pulled your money out or any part or all of it before that March 9th you most likely did not go back in the rest of the year and I would actually say that you probably didn't go in for the next few years because you were very scared in your mind. I saw this. I'm sure many advisors saw this with their clients. As much as you try to coach your clients, there's just no way sometimes of stopping them from doing this. And of course, I understand that they're scared. And by the way, this is an extreme example. To say that you have all your money in the S&P 500 at retirement is probably not going to be the case. But the idea here is that if the market's down, what's the quick math, 63% from beginning of 2008 to March 9, 2009, even if you're relatively, have half that loss because you don't have that full equity exposure in the markets, that's still a lot of money. At a time that you're thinking about, how do I make my money last? How do I make sure I get through retirement and I don't run out of money? I get it that it's a real life scenario. Is it completely realistic? No, because if you are all in the S&P 500, then your advisor's not doing a good job either. <laughs> So that's the one risk. The second risk that I described was distribution risk. Distribution risk says this. What's the amount that I can take from my accounts without having a significant chance of not running out of money before I reach my mortality? The significant chance is I have a 90% chance or better of making it through my retirement. Now, a couple problems I have, what I just said, was you don't get a do-over in retirement. That's a line that John Smallwood Sr. used to say, and it was a great piece of knowledge and advice that I still use today. You don't get a redo. You get one shot at this. So to say I have a 90% better chance. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. I have to make it. It's an all or nothing thing, right? Or then we get other, I mean, then we've gone to family members for money or whatever the case may be. We're looking for more assistance, et cetera, et cetera. Let's put it to you this way. If you were gonna get on a plane in Los Angeles and fly to New York, and they said to you, you got an 85% chance of making it. Are you getting on the plane? I want a higher percentage than that. And um, why did we discount our retirement to say, oh, 85% is good enough. I'll deal with it then. I don't know about that. So distribution risk right now with interest rates basically at all-time lows, and it's been that way for a little bit since probably the early 2000s, It used to be the 5% rule. If you take 5% out of your retirement, I guess you got a better than 90% chance of making it through retirement. And then what happens is interest rates were coming down over the last 30 years. The 5% rule went to 4%. And interest rates kept coming down. And now we're down to, the average is down to 3.5%. So you come to me, we'll go back to that million dollar retirement account. You said, how much can I retire on? I need to pull money on this. From this account. And I say to you, well, you know, without having a significant chance of running out of money, being less than 90%, you could take 3.5%. Let's put that into numbers. If I'm pulling that from my retirement account, that's $35,000 a year before tax. How are you feeling right now? And now you're not fearing of running out of money, but are you truly enjoying your retirement? I'm painting a really ugly picture here, aren't I? <laughs> You're like, I don't think I'm gonna to listen to Ed ever again. This is a terrible podcast. I thought he was gonna give me some good information. I'm getting there, okay? So, why I call it the default strategy, and that's my term, it's not an industry term, is because we all kinda of end up here for various reasons. We have to fund our own retirement, like we talked about in the beginning of the podcast. There's a lot of marketing out there that pushes, you know, gotta be in the markets, you gotta be doing this and you've got to stay invested and et cetera, et cetera. So you kind of end up in this kind of default area, this default strategy. And what the powers to be don't tell you is that as a retiree, you are basically self-insuring your own retirement because you have to absorb those two risks, market volatility or market risk and distribution risk but nobody's telling you that. You kind of know it in the back of your head because you know, you're know like, oh, I know markets go up and down and uh, I'll be okay and we'll, we won't be too risky in retirement, but you gotta be some risk because there's inflation, right? If anybody's been listening lately, I mean, inflation's at 6.2% without food and energy. Probably the two biggest things that affect you every day. You've gotta overcome inflation, so to overcome inflation, you've gotta be in the markets because. If you're in the bond market right now and have some bonds for income, they're not paying you enough to overcome 6.2. I would say probably the average is in the neighborhood of 3% in in the past. So nobody's telling you this. There's other ways of doing it. This is what we do for a living is I'm a risk manager. I look at things and I go, how do I reduce some of these risks in my clients' lives? And that's what we work toward. There's different vehicles out there. There's different strategies that you can do. And again, gotta have an open mind because you've been bombarded, bombarded by marketing that if you stay the course in the market and you put money in the markets, the markets will be good to you over time. There is a scenario, because I know the data, that's why I'm gonna tell you the story, is that from 1970 to 1999, the S&P averages 14.3% on an average basis. That's great. You come to me with that million dollar portfolio, I'm so smart that I know the S&P is gonna be an average of 14.9%, I must have like psychic ability. And I tell you to take 10% from your portfolio, that's $100,000 before taxes, that's much higher than the 5% or the 4% or 3.5%, I know what I'm saying. But I tell you to do this and guess what, you put that in your spreadsheet, okay, I got a million dollars, I'm averaging 14.3% over 30 years and I'm taking 10% a year. I'm pretty much netting out 4.3% per year. Your account's going to be higher at the end of 30 years. But remember what we talked about, market volatility. We don't live in an average world when it comes to our money. Money and math are not the same things. Money is a commodity. It's subject to other pressures like inflation and taxes. If you actually put the annual returns from 1970 to 1999 for each year and ran the same thing and did the math every year for what you were up and down for each year, you're out of money in the 13th year because there's three down years in the first 10 years of your market experience. That's not what they tell you, right? This is like, hey, stay the course, you'll be fine. No, there's market volatility. If I lose money, let's say I've got $100, I lose 10% in the market, I lose $10, right? I'm down to $90. I make 10% the next year. Do I make $10 or $9? 10% of $9 is $9. So even though I'm up the same percentage, I'm not back to even yet. You have to understand that concept is that every time I'm down, I have a down market, I need exponentially more up market to just get to even. We're not talking about even getting, making money. That's why I'm so passionate about the default strategy. I think too many people get pushed into this thought process and then don't realize all these different industries have just put me in a corner that I need to now self-insure my own retirement. And there's other strategies that are out there that you should explore, should understand. And that's something that if you came in and talked to us, We're going to go through the plan. We're going to look for these risks and say, okay, is this something that you'd like to reduce in your risk? And how do we do that? And how are we going to go about that? So this gets back to the conversation. If you happened to listen to my 15-minute intro a couple weeks ago, we talked about the mountain scenario where you go up the mountain for accumulation and down the mountain for distribution. And I told everyone on that podcast that, It's the downside of going down the mountain or the distribution phase that actually produces more deaths. Mountain climbing is more dangerous on the backside than is the front side, that's where more deaths occur. And in the financial world, this is why, because you get squeezed into these spots. But what happens if there's potentially a different type of rope or carabiner or something to help you get down that other side of the mountain? Maybe you get an extra guide (laughs) that helps you down. That's what I'm talking about. There there are other ways of doing this and structuring your plan to have flexibility and options so that way when there are down markets, and I'm not saying you shouldn't be invested in the market. No. Like everything in this world, in my opinion, moderation is the best thing. All of one thing never works. I have colleagues of mine that I've talked to and they're just investment driven. You know, stay in the markets, invest your money, you're gonna be fine. Well, that's easy to say when the market's not down 38% with another 25% in the first three months after the end of the year. Because we know this is more than just numbers, it's behavioral, right? You as the retiree now have to absorb this and how do I get past this, right? I think there's other ways, that, and I know there's other ways to doing this. And if you're so inclined, come in and talk to us, see us, and we'll work through it. We'll, we'll build out a blueprint. We'll start modeling out your specific situation and we'll come up with strategies that hopefully will limit this type of risk that you're actually absorbing with that i hope you enjoyed our podcast today and i hope there was some information that you may take away from this it's it's really a passion of mine if you want to have any questions or want some further information please go to my website www.smallwoodwealth.com there's A lot of other things on there that you might find interesting. Make it a great day.
0: Want to find out how you can jump the wealth curve? Connect with Ed now at smallwoodwealth.com. Jumping the Wealth Curve is brought to you by Edward Bao, an investment advisor representative of Smallwood Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone, and the information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives, and it's not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action, as information and or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Smallwood Wealth Management provides content that is true and accurate as of the date of publishing. However, we give no assurance or warranty regarding the accuracy, timeliness, or applicability of any of the contents. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this website or podcast and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, including, but not limited to, any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, misleading, or defamatory statements.